0: Hello, and welcome to an all new episode of our Economics and Business podcast. My name is Hannah Ordino and I'm back presenting this podcast with Laura Gatz after a career break travelling around South America, but I'm very excited to be back um, and joined here with Barrett Cupellian today, a senior economist in our team, um, who has authored our annual predictions global economy watch, and we'll be talking today about the key themes we expect next year and their implications for the global economy. So thank you for joining me today, Barrett.
1: Hi, Hannah. Thanks for having me and welcome back.
0: (laughs) Thank you very much. So you have three key themes for 2019. Can you tell us a little bit about these, please? Yeah.
1: um, So three themes, as you said. The first one is that global economic growth will slow down. The second one is that workers and wages will come to the fore and that in some uh, large advanced economies, wage growth will sort of take over. And the third one is that trade conflicts around the world will deepen.
0: Can we elaborate on the global growth theme?
1: Yeah, I think it's fair to say that the global economy, and in particular some of the advanced economies, enjoyed a mini-boom between the end of 2016 and early 2018. But that phase is now over as most cyclical highs and lows in the economy sort of elapse. And we now expect the G7 economies to return to their long-term growth rates. Do
0: you have any examples of this?
1: Well, the US is a classic example where the boost from the fiscal stimulus uh, is gradually expected to fade and higher interest rates may gradually dampen consumer spending. And a strong dollar is expected to pose a drag on on net exports. So we expect its uh, economic growth rate to slow down from an estimated 2.8 in 2018 to around the 2.5, 2.3 mark in 2019. In the eurozone, uncertainty relating to global trade tensions, Brexit, Italy, as well as the fact that the European Central Bank is, uh, is expected to offer less support to the economy, is gradually expected to slow economic growth there as well, below the 2% mark. And just to give you an emerging market example as well, in China we expect growth there to be slower relative to 2018. And although the government will try to ensure that the slowdown is minimal, the impact of US tariffs and the ongoing negotiations as well, as well as the need to control private debt levels, are also going to result to a deceleration in, in its growth rate. And the
0: second theme on workers?
1: Yeah, workers and, and wages is the other theme we identified. And um, I mean, if we just cast back to the, to the last couple of years in 2017 and 2018, most of the stories uh, in advanced economies in particular are centered around job creation. So in 2018, for example, four and a half million jobs got created in the G7, half of that in the US. But as unemployment rates are now hitting their structural f- floors in many economies, we expect the new stories to start emerging. And that is the story of, of wage growth. So for businesses, this means that they need to be much more mindful of their cost base And for central bankers, this means that they need to be much more mindful of of inflation levels increasing. Mm -hmm.
0: And finally, trade wars?
1: Yeah, trade wars. Uh, We expect trade wars to continue in 2019. And that is likely to generate uncertainty for policymakers and businesses. Policymakers will try to assess the impact of potential tariffs on growth rates and inflation while businesses will attempt to mitigate the impact of tariffs on their supply chains and customers. But the main focus of trade tensions is likely to be centered around the US and the US and China as well. But there is a risk that this could escalate into a wider trade conflict. And as we always recommend to our clients, businesses should and would in in this sort of situation plan for different scenarios.
0: And, And which countries does the US have the largest trade deficit with?
1: Uh, Actually, if you look at uh, the U.S.'s biggest bilateral goods trade deficits, the first one is China, and the U.S. is currently negotiating with China on tariffs. The third one is Mexico, and the U.S. has uh, entered into a new updated joint uh, trade deal with Canada. The fourth one is Japan, and the U.S. has started negotiations there. The second largest one is the EU, which could be an area that might be a focus in 2019. And also note that I focused on the goods deficit, so that's tangible goods. If you look at the service side of things, there's a different story developing there, where the US is the world's largest services exporter, but that doesn't get talked about that much.
0: And moving on to your predictions, let's talk about the UK first. Now obviously there is still considerable uncertainty regarding the outcome of Brexit as we speak, um, but what can we say about the outlook for the UK next year?
1: I mean, as you say, uh, it's a very very fair comment, the UK situation is currently very fluid and keeps on changing very fast, which makes our job of making projections about the future quite difficult. But in our main scenario projections, we expect the UK economy to grow on sort of an average rate of around one and a half percent for 2019 and 2020. Now, crucially, we're assuming that a withdrawal agreement of some sort is agreed with the EU, and that there is a transition to a new trading arrangement in the future. But even if this materializes, we still think that the US, UK, sorry, is at risk of dropping from its fifth largest economy uh, rank in the world to the sixth largest economy rank in the world, losing the spot to France. Now, it won't be the first time this has happened. The UK and France have switched positions historically, uh, and that's because they have similar levels of development and population. But the factor that usually changes this is the exchange rate. So a lot of, of what happens in 2019 will ultimately depend on the strength of the euro and the strength of sterling. But I need to stress that these comparisons are in market exchange rates. If you start ranking economies on, on a much more sophisticated basis, uh, one of which is the purchasing power parity basis, and that takes into account the different price differentials across uh, the different economies, then the UK becomes the ninth largest economy in the world. But I understand the appeal of, of using market exchange rates for comparisons because businesses trade in market exchange rates.
0: Sure. Now, moving on to the U.S., you predict that the U.S. deficit is going to move back into the $1 trillion zone?
1: Yeah, uh, we do. And, and I think there's a wider point there, a wider, more interesting point, particularly for economists. Uh, and, and that point is this. Typically, when, when economies are booming, and the U.S. Is, is booming right now, you would expect the government's deficit uh, to sort of sh- start shrinking. And that's because the government doesn't need to support the economy as much, but also because on the receipt side of things of the government, the government receives sort of more money from the private sector, which is growing at fast rates. But that is at odds with what the U.S. is currently experiencing, because uh, in the U.S., government spending has increased, particularly on the defense side of things, but also because government's receipts aren't as vibrant or they're not growing as strongly as they would have uh, had the tax cuts not gone through. So now you have a situation where the U.S. is expected to have the worst government deficit uh, out of all of the advanced economies in 2019.
0: And what could some of the implications of this be?
1: So that has particular implications for the Federal Reserve because if you continue, if the government continues to stimulate the, uh, the economy, then that leads to the building up of inflationary pressures. And the job of the Fed is to keep uh, inflationary pressures in check. So potentially what the Fed could resort to is to increase the interest rates, so its policy rate, at a faster pace than expected. Now that in turn comes with risks as well, because if you increase your interest rates at a too fast of, of a pace, then you risk slowing down the economy too much, and then you, know, you could end up uh, hard landing the US economy.
0: Now an accelerating theme over recent years has been declining workforces in D20 countries. What are your predictions regarding this going forward?
1: So the World Bank expects seven out of the G20 economies to experience declining workforces. But I think for me, the real story lies in in Eastern Europe, where a lot of economies there, both EU and non-EU member states, are already experiencing declining workforces. So an example of a non-EU state is Ukraine, where the workforce is expected to shrink by almost one and a half percent in one year and that's equivalent to half a million people. And an EU member state example is Bulgaria, where you know we're expecting the workforce to shrink by an equivalent percentage, but that's about 60,000 to 70,000 people.
0: And what are some of the key economic implications of this? And, and what can governments do to try and reverse these trends and reduce the adverse impact on society?
1: Well, I think governments need help, the help and coordination of the business community. And both sectors, both the governments and the business community need need to act in tandem to deal with these issues. So I can see three sort of things um, that governments and businesses can do uh, to sort of deal with with the issue of of, of a shrinking workforce. The first one is increasing the participation rate of of your labour force. That basically means getting more people of working age back into the labour force. This can be done using a three-pillar approach, and that can be integrating older workers better into the, into the workforce so that they don't fall out of the workforce, they don't retire uh, early, becoming better at integrating younger workers into the workforce, and then finally, also integrating women in, in, in the workforce. So Japan is a classic example where, in the past five years, they've done quite a successful job in integrating women into the wider workforce.
0: And just as quickly on, on this point, um, listeners if you're interested you can read more on these reports um, women in work index golden age report and youth employment index Where we rank economies based on how successful they've been um, in these areas um, And what about getting more uh, more out of your existing workforces? Yeah,
1: so that's that's the sort of the second point which is getting more out of your existing workers or basically increasing your productivity levels but that takes time to do you, know, you need a quiet nuanced approach, uh, joint approach where government and business work together and they ensure that, you know, that their hard infrastructure, stuff like roads, airports, uh, etc, as well as soft infrastructure like education, are well integrated to meet uh, future needs. But that's quite tough to do and it takes time. And the third approach, which some people would say is the easier approach, but it's the much more controversial approach, is to increase immigration. Because you know, the more the workers you have, the higher your productivity capacity, and the faster your your economic growth rate. I mean, I think it would be it would be useful if I give an example from from Eastern Europe, given that we we started with a focus on Eastern Europe. I mean, Hungary is an is an, is a good example where they managed to increase the participation rate of its workforce. They haven't been that successful at increasing productivity rates. As I said, it's a it's a difficult thing to do, and and as we know. Currently, the authorities are quite averse to, to immigration. Um, so what is the end result, I suppose, is, is, is the key uh, outcome people are interested in? Well, we have a low unemployment rate in Hungary. Actually, Hungary is one of the lowest unemployment rates in the European Union, at less than 4%. And then if you look at wages, because of these almost shortages in, in workers, Hungary has one of the fastest uh, wage growth rates in the European Union. And the wage growth rates there are, are growing at faster rates than productivity, which isn't an optimal situation to be in. There's other Eastern European economies, Armenia being an example, where they have been much better at integrating immigrants in the economy and they have been able to reap those benefits.
0: I think we stand on a more positive note. So let's talk about, um, some of the fastest growing economies next year?
1: I think the one fast growing economy that people should need to watch out for uh, is India. And the reason I'm saying that is, well, there's two main reasons why I'm saying that. A, because India will be growing at quite fast growth rates at around 7%, we think. But also because India is a massive country. It hosts more than a billion people. So it does make a difference to uh, a lot of people's lives.
0: Great. Thank you so much, Barrett. That's been really interesting. Although it sounds like the global economy may face a few bumps in the road next year. Listeners, if you would like to learn more, head to our Global Economy Watch website by following the link in the description. And for other topics, please subscribe to stay tuned for our upcoming episodes. Now, just before we go, Barrett, what's been your best economic news story of the year?
1: Well, the best one I'll go with is the classic one on, on poverty. Uh, which is that the percentage of people living in extreme poverty dropped to a new low of, of 10% in 2015, which is the latest available data point. Um, so that basically means that the number of people living on less than almost $2 a day fell to around 730 million people, which is still a large number, but that's on a declining path.
0: And China's had a big role to play in this?
1: Yeah, uh, that is correct. And China has had a big very big role in, in reducing the number of people in extreme poverty uh, over the past um, decade or so. Just to give you a couple of examples of, of how fast China has grown and how important it's become to the global economy. Uh, 20 years ago, in 1998, the Chinese economy grew by about 67 billion dollars in, in those uh, price terms, in 1998 price terms. So that basically means adding an economy the size of the Czech Republic to the global economy in 1998. But fast forward that to 2018. Now in 2018, we estimate that the Chinese economy grew by 1.4 trillion US dollars. 1.4 trillion US dollars compared to 67 billion dollars. Now that is the equivalent to adding an Australia to the global economy. So you can really see the change there.
0: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Great. Well, thank you so much um, and wishing you all a happy 2019.